All right, so what I had a question for you this morning. What words do you remember that someone in your life at some point has either told you or written to you that just have stuck with you for a long time? You'll never forget it simply because it was who said it, it was where they said it, it was at a particular season or time where you needed to hear something and those words just stuck with you. Can y'all think of something that has stuck with you that somebody said or written to you? Good, thank you. I like participation, all right? Well, I thought of one, and uh, my mom told me this, and I, and I always forget, she said, always tell the truth. Y'all heard that one? Always tell the truth. And when you're younger, you know that's important, but there are times when you go, yeah, but if I just lie this one time, it'll get me out of trouble this one time, and then it'll be over. And that hasn't always worked out so well. Matter of fact, it's never worked well. But then as I get older with that, always tell the truth, then there's these questions you get, like from somebody you love who might be your spouse, or does this look, or does this make me look something? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, I, and I'm tempted to lie. Or am I going to get in trouble if I tell the truth? Or, even in a harsher realm, what if something, if I tell the truth, it's going to cause somebody to die. Whoa, what? I haven't ever been in that situation yet, but I think about people over history who have been in a situation where they were hiding people from evil people and they had to lie and how difficult that had to be. Now, that's not the topic today, but I just thought about things that you're told that just stick with you, words that stick with you. How about this? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Is that true? No, I know. Whoever made that up? It's probably why it's anonymous, because the person didn't know what they were talking about. Words do have power, don't they? Words can hurt us. Words can encourage us, give us life, or they can destroy us sometimes. Words have impact. They can give life, or they can destroy lives. I don't know about y'all this week, but I'm kind of disappointed in our country right now. I mean, I'm sitting here and, and listening to this stuff going on with our new, possible new Supreme Court justice. And my 14-year-old Lauren is, we're listening to the radio, and I'm listening to this because I'm just fascinated by our culture and things that go on. And I'm listening to some of this deliberation. <laughs> and she's like, Dad, what are you listening to this junk for? Why are you listening? This is so boring. You know, and I'm like, oh, so we're going to listen to one of your pop songs for the one millionth time instead. <laughs> Which is what we probably should have done. But as, as, she's li- as she's listening to this as we're driving, I'm going, you see what's happening here? You've got two people saying completely opposite sto- stories. And they both can't be true. There's no way. Somebody is lying. And I don't know who it is. I mean, I have my opinion like all y'all do, and then we need the media to tell us what we're supposed to think, of course. But it was disappointing because I go, I don't know what the truth is. I don't know that I'll ever know what the truth is, but I do know this. This man and this woman involved in this, their lives are destroyed. Their families' lives are destroyed, and it's all because our political system wants power. And let me tell you something. If he gets elected or doesn't get elected, that has nothing to do with our salvation. It's not going to save our country. It's not going to destroy our country. 
And you can get all the new people on the other side in, just like we do every eight years or four years. You know how that works. As long as I've been alive, they keep swapping sides. And has anybody figured it out yet? They have not. And I'll remind you, as I have before, Jesus never complained about the government. And I'm pretty sure the government in his time was way more evil than ours was. And I just say that to say, the hope is in Jesus Christ, y'all. And he has given us as a church to give that hope. That's right. And it's not in a political party. And, and I say it's not a political party, and I encourage you, and I think you have an obligation and an incredible opportunity to vote, and I think you should. But at the end of the day, Jesus is what's going to save us. His salvation is what saves us, not political parties. Well, we're going to continue this sermon series called Invisible World. And the Apostle Paul was talking to a group of Jesus followers in a place called Ephesus. He went, as God told him, to go into all the world, make disciples, and he was doing that. He went to this place called Ephesus. He spent two years pouring into these people about the good news of Jesus Christ and his transforming power. And later he would write this letter to those who had accepted this message of hope, and they're trying to live this out. And he writes this letter to them and try to encourage them. But he says, look, you know, they were in a time where they're shaking their heads and throwing their hands up, y'all, just like us. They're going, what is going on in our world? What is going on with the government around us? How do we live in this as a, as a Jesus follower? How do we sift through all the lies and this invisible world of evil that's going on? How do we know who to believe and what to believe? Just like we were, y'all. And Paul says, listen, you've got to put on the full armor of God because you know what? Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against Democrats or Republicans. It's against, he said, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I am not insinuating that one side is the evil and the other one is not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's even further than we even think. And that's what we've been talking about. The battle is between the power of the Holy Spirit, the character of God living and acting in me on a daily basis and allowing God to meet my needs, or I revert to the flesh, my own self-centered, prideful human character living and acting in me and trying to get things done and get my needs met apart from God and becoming God myself. I don't need God, I can do it. That's living in the flesh. So in reality, there was and there is an invisible battle going on we've been talking about for your mind and my mind, for your heart and my heart, for your soul and my soul. And these things in culture are just symptoms of it. So we've been looking at the various pieces of armor and the Roman soldiers, you know, his, his armor, and, and Paul knew that those people at Ephesus are walking around every day and they're seeing a Roman soldier and they're seeing the stuff that he's carrying a sword they're seeing his breastplate of righteousness, all these things we've talked about. And he says, today I want you to, uh, what we're going to talk about today is the last piece, and it's called the sword of the Spirit, which he said is the Word of God. That's from um, Ephesians 6, chapter 17. And when we think of all the pieces so far, we've been thinking about defensive pieces. And I'm going to go ahead and read that. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we're going to stop right there, which is the Word of God. And we think about the belt of truth. That seemed to be defensive. It holds basically my girdle up with all the stuff that's on there. The breastplate of righteousness, we talked about. It protects um, uh, the, the innards, you know, the, the, the things that are so around here, my heart. Um, the sandals of readiness protect my feet as I'm taking the gospel of peace. We talked about the shield of faith. 
that blocks and, and uh, extinguishes the fiery arrows that Satan is shooting at me. And then last week we talked about the helmet of salvation, which protects this right here, my brain, or as I called it last week, the processor. And we need to always process and realize how awesome salvation is. And so today we're talking about the sword. And my first thought is, is this is really the only weapon so far that we've talked about that is offensive. You know what I'm talking about? Everything else has been defensive. And I know that a sword can be defensive. But when I go into battle, or if you go into battle, or, or somebody that's using a sword, when you all see those movies, Gladiator and stuff, this is not just to be defensive, is it? I'm not just going to block your sword with it. I'm not just going to try to block an arrow with it, as if you could do that, or a spear, or whatever you're wielding at me. I'm not just trying to block it. Yes, I might can block your sword, but when I get a chance, I'm going to be offensive, and I'm going to try to kill and destroy my enemy. It is an offensive weapon. That'd be like, if it was only for defense, that'd be like, well, when you're shooting a gun at somebody, I'm going to be shooting back, but all I'm trying to do is shoot his bullets that he's shooting at me. No, I'm trying to shoot that guy that's trying to kill me and destroy him. Now, I know that's, that's violent. we got kids in the room. What in the world? But taking a sword into battle says, are you using that weapon, weapon in an offensive way to, for destruction or death towards the enemy? Now, in battle, being on the attack is certainly to defend yourself, but it's also to destroy and stop the enemy. That's what we have to do sometimes. So here is where it may seem a little confusing. The Word of God, this is what you chose to use as an analogy? A sword? That's violent. It's destructive. It's a, it's a weapon of death. Why not a dove? That's nice and sweet, innocent. How about a lamb? Well, Jesus said He was the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world. How about a rainbow? I got already used that one with Noah. How about a tree growing and beautiful and gives you shade? But no, God chose a sword, but it gets your attention, doesn't it? Somebody's wielding a sword, you're like, what is going on there? What is happening there? It gets your attention. But it can give, impre it can give impressions, it can give images of violent or demanding or offensive or forceful. But you know what? Sometimes the Word of God has to be that, doesn't it? When your kid's about to walk into the street and you see a car coming, you're going to go, hey, you might want to back up just a little bit. Get out of the street, you're going to get killed! You tell them in a forceful way. But it sounds like you're saying, believe it or accept it or die. And we know how Christianity has gotten some of that press, right? That's the way we are. It's my way or the highway. It's the way it's going to be. Maybe images of the Crusades in history where they went against uh, the Muslims and it's like, you're going to become a Christian or we're going to cut your head off. Now, are you going to be a Christian? What kind of choice is that? Maybe it gives you images of that. But we need to understand the sword of the Spirit is God's Word and God's Word is the message or the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul was not referring to the Bible. What are you talking about? I thought my Bible was the sword. There was no Bible yet when Paul wrote this letter. What are you talking about? It wasn't written yet. Well, they had the Old Testament. Yeah, but not in the form as we think of it. And yeah, and Paul would have called it something else. He probably would have called it the sword of the law and prophets, not the sword of the Spirit. The Old Testament ends. 
It ends saying that we need good news, that we need a Savior. All of the kings, all of the laws, all of the prophets could not turn people's hearts back towards God. They gave them warnings, but they were imperfect messengers of God. And the law, although it pointed out what was wrong and right, it could not save us. So at the end of the Old Testament, we're still looking for a Savior, for a Messiah. And there was this period in between the Testaments where we're like, what? what's going to happen? What's God going to do? When's He going to send His Messiah? And Paul said, sword of the Spirit. And I believe that the Word of God here is the gospel message. Yes, Paul didn't come up with this on its own. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. The Bible, y'all, is not, and I tell you, I'm so tired of hearing this, especially from people who are in college, because they hear it from professors or they read it on the internet. Oh, it's just a bunch of stuff written by men. I hear that all the time, and there's nothing that could be further from the truth. But you need to do your study and know that God's Word is from God. There's no way the things could have been compiled the way they were just by a bunch of men. There's no way. It's amazing. It is the Word of God. And Paul didn't just come up with this. It's consistent with other New Testament writers. In, in the, the letter to the Hebrews, listen to what it says. Um, verse, chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Yeah, but Paul wrote that too. No, Paul didn't write Hebrews. We're not sure who wrote Hebrews, but it probably wasn't Paul. Because he always identified himself in his letters, and this one does not identify any one author. But they're using this again. And that same person who wrote that letter was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, this is for real. This is what God told me to write down about what His Word is. And so that same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul inspired the writer of Hebrews and is trying to inspire me and you today. When the good news, the Word of God is presented, it must include, y'all, the whole story of Jesus. The whole story of Jesus. His birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection. And it is good news, the whole story. But during, along the way, was it all good news? Well, it started with good news. If you remember, in Luke chapter 2, we read about this at Christmas time. It started as good news. In Luke chapter 2, in Luke's account of the gospel, the good news, he wrote this. He says, an angel's telling the shepherds. He goes, I think we're going to have that one up there. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to those shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So Jesus' life starts out with good news. The Messiah has come, finally. We need that. He has come. But then that good news seemed to stall because we didn't hear anything about Jesus for a while. At 12 years old, he was a pretty amazing guy, sitting in with the religious leaders and baffling them that how could he possibly know these things about the Scriptures at such a young age? And we don't hear anything about him till he's 30 years old. What was going on? Well, he was a, he was a carpenter with his dad in, in Nazareth in Galilee. What in the world? I thought you were supposed to save the world. What are you doing being a carpenter for the last whatever many years? That didn't seem like good news. But then Jesus decides He's going to go at 30 years old to do the ministry that God's called Him to do. Not that that other time wasn't. That's not what I'm saying. But it just seems from a human perspective, what in the world? But, but Jesus goes out and we know He was tempted by Satan. 
And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. In all those temptations from Satan, and Satan had power. Satan still has power, y'all. And he said, Jesus, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus responded to that temptation with what? Word of God. The good news of who God is. Redemption. Saving grace. I'll give you all these if you'll just bow down to me. And he goes, no, you shall not bow down to anyone else. Only the Lord God is the Lord God. And he went away. To a time, keep this in mind, to a more opportune time, Scripture tells us. Satan would return to try to tempt Jesus. I want you to hold on to that thought. I'm going to come back to that. But Jesus healed and performed miracles, and then it started to be good news again. Now, now we've started. He's 30, he's doing this, he's healing people, he's becoming the Messiah. This is great, this is what we expected. But many were still expecting something different from that word that became flesh. And John the Baptist got arrested, and he sent his followers to Jesus and go, are you the one that's supposed to come, or are we supposed to look for somebody else? Because I don't know if you've heard, but John the Baptist is in jail. I thought you were the Messiah, I thought you were the Savior. Why is he in jail? You should be doing something about that. And Jesus said to them in Luke 7, verse 22, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who had leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. The the sword is available to the poor. They've been told it wasn't, but they know now. Jesus is telling them, giving them hope. You have the sword. But what is interesting was the religious leaders did not think what Jesus was preaching was good news. They didn't like it that blind were receiving sight. They didn't like it that lame were walking. They didn't like it that people who had leprosy were being cleansed. See, that ruined their theology. You have to follow the law, follow the law, follow the law, and everything will go great. That didn't work out for them. And they thought Jesus was bad news. Bad news for their power. Bad news for their authority. Bad news for their popularity. So the really bad news was that they wanted to get rid of him. We don't like your good news. And so Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was arrested. Then he was sentenced to death on a cross. And he was ultimately put on that cross. Nailed to that cross. And bled for six hours till he physically died. A brutal death. And the really bad news, the seemingly the worst news, that the Word that had become flesh and dwelled among us was now dead. I guess He wasn't the Savior. I guess He wasn't the Messiah. But two days that went on, those thoughts. The bad news took away hope for all those that believed Jesus was the Messiah, that He was the good news of great joy. And for two days there was no hope. But on the third day, on the third day, The good news came. The really, not only good news, but the best news. Jesus was alive. He was alive again physically, not just spiritually, but alive physically. God had raised Him from the dead. And sin could not separate us from God any longer because of His death. And now, death could not separate us from God because of His resurrection. That's the gospel story, y'all. And you may be saying, I don't understand, but now when I hear how violent Jesus' death had to be, when I realize how death had to take place for me to be forgiven, this is a pretty good analogy, isn't it? It gets your attention. Jesus willingly, basically, y'all, He falls on the sword for me and you. We're the one that deserved to die because of my sin, 
that's not only hurt me, but it's hurt other people and has separated me from God, but Jesus fell on the sword to save me. When everybody knew he had the power to fight to prevent his death. And this death is not passive, it was active. It seemed passive, didn't it? Why aren't you doing anything? You're just letting them hang you on the cross. It was active. It was God's plan all along. That was the good news. And again, I'll read it from Hebrews. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And Jesus' death and resurrection did that. His violent, bloody death actively forgave all the sins of humanity. We deserve the sword, but Jesus took it for us. Sin was defeated. We deserve death. But Jesus defeated death with the Word of God, the good news that called Him out of that grave. Y'all like that song? We heard a, a, just a little bit of that in one of the songs today. God called Him out of it. Sin wasn't just blocked or defended, y'all. It was defeated. It was done away with. Do you understand that? Do we really believe that? I think sometimes we don't because we don't live like it. Death has not just been blocked or defended, y'all. It's been defeated. It can no longer separate us from God. That's right. we got to clap about that. That's something. And so the natural question is this. Well, if that's true, Craig, if sin's been defeated and death has been defeated, then why all this craziness in our world still? And why do I need to put on the armor of God? Because if I need to put on the armor of God, that means it doesn't sound like He's taking care of everything. If He's taking care of everything, then I don't need to put on anything. He can just save me from all that. Everything will just be great. Rainbows and, and uh, unicorns. Thank you. Okay? Why do I need to put on armor? God, if you've saved me, you've defeated sin and death, and quit letting all these bad things. I don't want to have to write another prayer request on the card at church. I don't want to have to pray for another one. Just take care of it, God. Have you ever thought that? I'm not saying I don't like praying for y'all. But it's overwhelming sometimes. I'm like, man, I don't have a problem. That's what I feel like on Monday morning. I have nothing to complain about. But why doesn't God just take care of that? Be my bodyguard. I don't want to put on armor and be in the battle. You've already taken care of that. Let me give you a story that might help with that. So I heard this amazing story about in the 19th century, people that lived in New England... Are famous for in New England is is famous for what they call in Boston Atlantic cod fish. Anybody ever had that and like that? Okay, okay, I see. Okay, really, really good. Well, people in San Francisco, all the way over on the other side of the U.S. or on the Pacific Ocean, they said, "I hear how good I've been over there. It's amazing. I want to get some of that shipped over here." Well, in those days in the 19th century, y'all. Getting things from one place to the other was not exactly the way it is today transportation-wise. So they decided, if we're going to get Atlantic cod all the way to San Francisco, you can't take it across country. The best way to do it is put it in ice, load it up in ships, and you have to go all the way around South America and back up the Pacific to San Francisco. So they did that. They put it in ice. Months later, when the fish gets there, mmm, delish. Rotten fish. That didn't work so good. Somebody goes, well, what we'll do is, is we'll, we'll put that cod in these containers and just let them swim around alive as we make that big trip all the way around South America back up to the Pacific. Let's do that. So they did that. 
But this time when the fish got there, they didn't get any exercise. They're just stagnant in that water, sitting there for months. And when they got there, they were pasty and relatively tasteless. No, that's not what I remembered back in New England. So finally someone says, why don't we put some catfish in those bin with the cod? Well, what? Why would you put catfish in there? Catfish are the cod's natural enemy. And so sure enough, they threw some catfish in there with the cod. And the whole time this trip is going on for the months, there's catfish are in there swimming around with the cod, and the cod are constantly going, where's the catfish? He's going to get me. And they stay active the whole time. When they finally get to San Francisco, the fish is fresh and healthy and ready to be consumed. That's a cool story, isn't it? Yeah, that's great, Craig. What in the world does it have to do with what you're talking about? It reminded me of the fact that we think that our lives should just be relatively free and easy and God will do all the saving and the taking care and we don't have to do anything. We would not grow as people. We would not be the people that God called us to be. How would we possibly grow if I never failed? If I never lost? If I never experienced trouble? If I never experienced hurt or defeat? Would I really depend on God? I can tell you I wouldn't. I would depend on me. How would we know the power of the resurrection if we had not experienced and felt the separation of death? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know from just looking around and seeing some faces I know in here, some of you have experienced horrific situations where you lost a loved one and that separation from that person through death has been devastating to you. It's been hurtful. But without that, you would not really know. And, and, and I'm telling you, the people that understand that, that have lost that and felt that separation, their hope in the gospel, their hope in the resurrection is absolutely amazing. Do you know anybody like that? Absolutely. Amen. How would we know how great forgiveness is if we didn't see the effects and devastation of sin? And how would we know the power of the resurrection if we didn't know really the separation of death? I don't like that. I want it to be easy, but God said, this is the way it is. And you're still going to have to put on your armor, and you're still going to have to have this sword. But I promise you, it's been defeated. But when we get there, y'all, how much better off are we going to be to our final destination that we've had this sword, and we've understood, and we've been through the battles, and we're just like, man, how great is that destination going to be? Maybe we'll have some fried cod, I don't know. But the sword, the Word of God, the good news had to defend us because we were unable to withstand the blow of sin and death. We had to have this. The sword, the Word of God, the good news had to be offensive. It had to be violent in order to fully destroy the reality of the bad news of sin and death. I like this sword analogy. I like it. I need this. I need the Word of God. I need the good news. I need the hope of the salvation of the world. The Apostle Paul wrote to another group in the first century, and he said this, the people at Thessalonica, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word. It's not just human word, it's the word of God. But as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. It's at work. When we believe it. This is at work. And we need this. And maybe this morning, 
there's somebody that needs to claim your sword of the Spirit this morning. I need mine, and you need yours. But here's the deal, y'all. Nobody can claim this for you. Care how good your mama was, your grandmama, your daddy, your best friend, they can't do it for you. You have to do it. You have to accept that. You have to believe and you have to accept that sin has been defeated in your life and you're going to allow that truth to let you live differently. You're going to have to understand that people are still going to die and it hurts and there is separation, but it's not the end. And when you believe that, you live differently. And let me tell you, the world needs to see that. They need to see that Christ followers live differently and react differently. We don't lose our minds when something happens in politics and go off the edge on Facebook or whatever. It's bad, I get it. But it's not the end. There's better news. The best news has been proclaimed, and that's Jesus Christ. Born, lived, died, and ultimately resurrected, and He's coming back. And we need to take hope in that. Take hope in that. So this morning, this morning we're going to offer an opportunity that maybe there's somebody here today that needs to say, hey, I want to claim that. I don't understand everything about it, but I want to be forgiven. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be reconnected with God through what He's done for me. And we offer that. I know there's one that's coming this morning. We're excited about that. And maybe there's somebody else. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. And I'm trying, to the best of my ability, to preach y'all God's Word. And that's what we're going to keep doing here. And we're going to try to do, go through this thing called life together, knowing God's Word and living in community together, trying to be the best Jesus followers we can. If you want to be a part of that, we invite you to make that too. So we're going to have a song, and if you have that decision, y'all stand with us, and just come on up here, I'll walk you through it.